Hello, I'm Caroline Carey. I'm a soul worker and soul doula. I have a deep understanding of the soul's journey from cradle to grave, and I've traveled between the veils of the spirit realms. I've studied the path it evokes, and I've come to understand why the majority of today's problems are rooted in the loss of spirituality. So my work, which is Middle Earth Medicine Ways, empowers people to find what is lost and to reclaim their own circle of strength by embodying their soul. And I do this by holding a space for healing and soul retrieval with shamanic skills, trance and conscious dance. I love creative writing and poetry. Please join me in listening to these wonderful teachers and soul workers, the facilitators and the guides of spiritual and shamanic work. They all have something very important to share and are a great gift to our communities. I've learned a lot from listening to them. I invite you to also. Hi, Caroline here with my podcast, Soul Purpose. I'm sharing an interview with you today from Christine Mulani, who's Irish, lives in Ireland and works with The Voice. She has a, a beautiful story to share with us about working with The Voice and how she came to be doing that. So have a listen to her. Let me know what you think. And if you want more information about her, please have a look in the box underneath this podcast. You'll get her website, you'll get her podcast and her social media platforms. I really enjoyed connecting with Christine and I hope you do too. Christine, it's so lovely to have you here today and to have you share on my podcast because I'm excited about what you bring, who you're about, what you're about. And um, yeah, the fact that you work with voice. And, you know, for me, like the, the, the voice is such a, it's so important in this day and age, you know, for people to get their voices out there. I've struggled with it all my life. And now I'm coming to a place where I actually feel so much freer with it which is exciting um i even sang um one of my songs and put it out on vimeo on onto my website and stuff the other day um and i was delighted with it but terrified as well so i want to know something about your journey and and what it is that you do and what you have to share with others today um you're all about connected communication in fact that's your podcast hey Yes, my podcast launching next week, which I'm very excited about and is part of that finding my way and finding what is the right road for me. Well, at the moment to get my voice out there and share. So, yeah, very excited, very excited. Looking into an exploration of what makes communication whether it's nature or nurture or a little bit of both and what we can do to change that in the brain nice oh beautiful wow so really you're working in in a neuro um understanding of what actually is going on with the brain 
with our communications? Yeah, I blend a few different modalities. So my background, I actually use the four-leaf clover to describe my self, <laughs> which is why it's become the logo on the front of the podcast. In one leaf, I talk about my English language teaching background and my connection with teaching English around the world, my diploma as a speech and drama teacher, and then my neuro language coaching training. On another, my vocal production training. So as I mentioned, speech and drama, but also I'm a classically trained singer. On another leaf, my business background. My degree is actually in business administration with marketing in Spanish. My master's is in entrepreneurship. And then the fourth leaf is my heart, my authenticity and my truth. And that's what wraps them all up together. So that's where connected communication comes in. Oh, that's so beautiful. And you are Irish, yeah? Very. <laughs> Very, they say. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm from a town called Dundalk, which is just below the border with Northern Ireland. So I grew up in the early 80s. I lived in a town called Navan, a little bit further away first, but moved to Dundalk at seven when my parents separated. Living in a border town in Ireland, coming at at the probably the end part of the Troubles, the, for those podcast uh, listeners who don't know what I mean when I say the Troubles, those challenges between the North and South of Ireland and, and the UK. So it was an interesting experience. There, there's, there are different things that you live through living in an area like that, that when you're not from those border areas or part of that section of the country, you don't necessarily understand. Mm, mm, sure. it was great lots of learning and lots of lessons and I love, love my area talking about you as a, a little girl what was what was it about your voice when you were young when you were maybe mm. coming into your teens or anything you can share with us about growing up and some kind of connection that you might have had to your voice well I started training in the voice at the age of seven when my parents separated, my mum needed to retrain. She had three young girls. She was now living on her own. Dad was very much supportive and there for us. But of course, you need to, to find a way to, to buy a new house and look after three young girls. So she retrained as a speech and drama teacher. And I began my training with her. At the same time, or a couple of years later, she got into a relationship with what who was then my stepdad. And in that environment, there was alcoholism, there was physical abuse, psychological and mental abuse, not of mum, but more of, of the kids. That was the moment when I know, if I look back on the story, my voice was silenced. I remember saying, this is not the right person. I can feel it. I know it. And of course, hearing you're a child, how would you know? Now, I don't blame in any way my mother for this. And if anybody's listening, or even if, if she is, we've, we've talked through this. We have a great relationship and love each other very much. It's just part of the story. But that was one moment. At the same time, as I say, I was training in speech and drama, learning about the voice, how to perform, how to speak poetry, which is one of my greatest joys. I just adore it. I then began be, being trained as a classically trained singer, 
with the most well-known women in the area. So I blended both learning about the voice and spoken word with learning how to use my voice as a singer. And I sang a lot of Irish ballads. And what I find with the voice is that, you know, public speaking coaches will tell you, you need to move and you need to do this and be demonstrative and, and all this kind of thing. But actually, we learn in speech and drama training and vocal production training that you can command a room or own an audience simply with your voice. That's the magic of it. As a teen then, there was a night, which I mentioned in my TEDx talk, that was considerably violent. And I actually jumped out the window of the house <laughs> to get away and ran to my dad, who had moved to be close to us for from a kind of a safety reason. But I was brought back home. And that's when the sever happened, where I subconsciously, I only in the past few years have realized this, was told or maybe learned that it didn't matter, that I knew that this wasn't the right environment for me to be in, that I needed to be protected and safe. And I was brought back. Again, there's no fault there. My parents did what they knew and felt was best for me at the time or the advice that they got. But they were the moments that that severed the cord. If you want to think about it like the voice, when the vocal cord was damaged. And what you might see is that I have a scar on my neck here. Okay. Soon afterwards, a couple of years maybe afterwards, a year or two, I developed a cyst. I believe it was a cyst on my throat. I'm still not fully clear exactly what happened. But from a spiritual perspective, when we think about the body indicating things that are going wrong, it affected my voice. It meant that I couldn't sing properly. My octaves were lowered and I needed an operation. I had the operation in one day and got sent home at five o'clock that evening with my arms like this over my mum and granny, hanging off them, still drugged up to my eyeballs and ended up back in hospital. It didn't work, of course, when you're taken in for eight hours and have your... Right. Not to be too graphic listeners, but throat opened. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't really work very well. So I ended up back in hospital for a week, got another operation done, and it seemed like it was recurring afterwards again. And that's when my mum said, would you not just try a shamanic healing? Wow, how interesting. Mm. I was very sceptical, Re really. When I look back on it now and I think where I'm at in terms of my belief and my faith and spirit, I was, it was, it's it's quite laughable. I was so sceptical, so closed. Her best friend was a shamanic practitioner and I went to a healing circle. In that circle, I lay in the middle. All of these strangers, with the exception of my mom and her friend, worked around me. They did their drumming. They called in their guides. They did whatever they needed to do. And at the end, one woman whom I'd never met before sat down and described me as an 11-year-old or 10-year-old sitting against a tree in my favourite place in the world at the time, which is actually still one of my favourite places in the world, a place called Ravensdale Forest, just outside where I'm from. And this was a soul part that I had lost, or not lost, that I had ignored for a while. I don't believe in losing ourselves. I think we just, mm -hmm. we separate a little bit for a while. And she wanted to come back 
when she did describe this lady described this i thought okay there's something here because how could she possibly be telling me this and i can still see that little girl she described because it was absolutely me so she came back i welcomed her back i did the work to welcome her back and that happened a couple of times but to answer in summary your question about me being young and the voice that's the journey very young parents separated situation where I sort of inadvertently was told what I said didn't matter because I was young and how could I know even though my gut and my intuition knew it recurred a couple of times caused that throat blockage and then we got to my late teens when I began my spiritual journey I'm nearly 40 now so there's a lot more in between (laughs) that's such a fascinating story thank you Christine so interesting to you know that little girl obviously did come back and you you did find yourself in those moments and you began to do more no doubt around your voice singing um, and then beginning to find the career of your choosing so you work with different languages or you how did you find all of that how did you how did you follow this training how did you follow on from there what took you? Hmm. So it's interesting that this has been one of those, can I call it a bone of contention for me? I'm not sure if that's the right way to term it. A lot of what popular belief and popular voice says is that you experience something, it creates a change and suddenly you find what it is that you're going to do, but you haven't done it before. Hmm. That's not the way it was for me. I've woven this my whole life. As I said, I was studying speech and drama from the age of seven. I never stopped studying it. I was on the stage every year, four to six times a year. I competed in spoken word festivals. Mum ran a fesh. I sang in festivals of, of voice in Dublin and in Newry. So all the time, despite being very afraid... It's interesting. I was never afraid to stand up and speak. And still I'm not. I could stand up and speak to anybody. But singing was different because I sought that perfection. I wanted people to know that I was a, a fabulous singer and that meant that I needed to sing perfectly. So the, the nerves that I had to fight through, I still work through when I sing publicly. But I wove that all the time. I never stopped doing it. When I finished school, secondary school, I went to college. I got in luckily to a business degree. And that was kind of it. You're going to college. There's, there wasn't, it wasn't a discussion. It, it was, that was what we did. That was what was going to be done. And however you were to get in, you were to get in. So I got into a business degree. I was lucky to get into. I did Spanish as part of that degree. The language I had always wanted to study, but didn't exist in the school that I was in. And I loved it. I suddenly wasn't being told what to do, wasn't told what I had to study, anything like that. It was just off you go and you do what you need. Business for me was, I I don't like the term common sense. Common sense is only common to the person who possesses it in their own understanding. 
But for me, it just made sense. I'd been working since I was 11 with my dad in a manager's office in a shopping center. I'd seen my mom run her own business, been part of the organization of the FESH, was teaching. So I just, it just all landed. I didn't really feel like I had to work very hard, yet I worked very hard and aced my degree. How I got into language teaching was after my travels in 2008, I went to Australia with my best friend to live for to backpack to to do the standard mid 20s have a good time <laughs> and let loose i'd had a number of jobs before that in a variety of different areas but in my second year to go for my visa i got a job gifted to me by the universe i honestly have to say in the outback i visualized when i was in the hostel one day imagine if i got a job in the outback with my own house on a beautiful piece of land and i got everything that i imagined because the girl from china had been offered the job and said i can't do it i don't think my language is good enough to teach three children so out i went i was teaching in the outback i thought you know i actually really like this but I love English. I've loved English, the spoken word, the written word all my life. Maybe I'll go and do a TEFL course. Not knowing then that that weekend TEFL is not a course that prepares you to train, uh, to teach English. But I did it nonetheless in Brisbane. Yeah, I like this. This is great. And I ended up going back home, but wasn't ready to be back in Ireland just yet. My visa was nearly finished. So I got a job in China, working for the college, my local college where I had studied. And while I was there, I was also lecturing in a university. I was a recruiter for students, but I began lecturing in marketing, in Western culture and in English. And that was my opportunity to teach English. And that was it. I knew this is part of my gift. This is part of my joy. So when I finished in China, I came home and I did my real CELTA studies, the Cambridge studies, to be an English language teacher. And that began the English language teaching career. It didn't stay as an English language teaching career. And then when I came home, I did my CELTA, my Cambridge certificate as an English language teacher, moved to Dublin and began working in that industry. So you're now coaching people you're you're working with others you you've worked in organizations you've worked with individuals um you're still passionate about voice and helping people and uh yeah it was a lovely big smile when i said you know <laughs> that thing of helping others to find their voice i imagine is incredibly satisfying um and definitely connected to some of that childhood dream that you've been carrying so tell me a bit about the kind of people who you work with now. Yeah, if I may come back in on the childhood dream, I'm not sure I would say that I dreamt of being where I'm at now and what I'm doing now. I wanted to be a, a homicide detective. The vein is similar in that Part of what I stand against is bullying, being overpowered, being silenced. 
and having a, an understanding of human behavior that helps us connect. So in, when you think about like a homicide detective, somebody who does that, it's protection. And that I would say, that I would say is more connected to what I do now. It's protection and support yes. of those who don't feel confident enough to stand in their own power and say that's not okay. Okay. You know, that, that's really yeah. interesting because, I, I, you know, when I when I talk about the dream of childhood or the, the you know, the, the sole purpose, I'm often exploring the quality, the particular quality that we're born with, that we carry through our lives. And then that becomes, it doesn't matter what we do, what the job is, what the job description is or the career is, it's that that quality is what we're actually emanating towards others and it sounds like the homicide detective is like where was the 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 death the mini death if you like of that little child who was sitting by the tree who some part of yourself that had been lost and that you had brought back with the help of your community and isn't that something of you know people who've lost a sense of their own voice their personality who they who they are in the world that somehow that little mini death is is what you're exploring, what your your discovery is about, like to help them reclaim parts of themselves that are clearly incredibly important. So that quality mm -hmm. you hold is, isn't that part protection. of journey? Yeah, protection and empowerment. But I would say that I, for me, it's not a death or a loss. Because in death, there is loss and it doesn't come back. And I wouldn't say that any part of me has ever died. Nor that I have lost something that wasn't always there. So in we, we haven't hit the part of the relationship I've just left. I left a toxic, narcissistically abusive relationship in 2021. And that was really the, the big catalyst to where I'm at now in terms of things I'll say and things I'll do. Hmm. And I was saying at the beginning of that, oh, I was lost. And, and as I came into the healing, I realized I wasn't lost. <laughs> the woman and the girl who was always there, was always there. Yeah. She was silenced for a while. So, yeah, yeah. She was taking a different direction. Uh -huh. That maybe wasn't the direction that she wanted to take at a deeper level, but that was the right one for her to take to be able to do what she needs to do now. Because if I hadn't gone down that path, if I hadn't experienced having been an incredibly confident, powerful, empowered woman who found herself in a, a toxic relationship, emotionally and psychologically abused, I wouldn't have the compassion that I have now for people who find themselves in it. If I could look back and say, I never, ever thought that could happen to me. Mm -hmm. If I hadn't lived that, when I work with and meet people who have experienced that and need to find their way out or are in the middle of the healing through it, instead of me saying in my head or in my energy, I don't understand how you could get there. I completely understand that. Right. So every experience I live I believe is the right one at the time because it's all what is 
forming part of the gift that I have to give to help people find their way through. That's fantastic. That's so lovely. This silencing that you talk about, I think it's it's quite prominent, isn't it? And I think sometimes more so for women. I'm not saying that generally, but women have it, you know, in our generations, our lineage. I know for my own family, there's been a lot of silencing of the yeah. feminine. Um, what would you say about that? I would agree with you very, very much so. I have an episode coming out in my podcast next week where I talk about St. Patrick, but not in the way that St. Patrick is usually talked about. <laughs> and in it, I, I refer exactly to what you've just said without revealing too much of it. A part of that patriarchal belief that came with the church and with St. Patrick was that men are more intelligent, more powerful, more able, more whatever other words. As I'd like to make clear here, though, for any male listeners, I don't mean all men. I think on equal sides, men have been, uh, what's it called, this man box, this idea that men are powerful and strong and they don't have emotions and they don't show them, is equally as damaging as it is the opposite. Mm -hmm. we, we, we haven't found this equilibrium I talk a little bit about a seesaw in one of my episodes. There's a black and a white and an up and a down and an in and an out, a positive and negative. The same thing seems to have happened with male and female. Somewhere along the lines, the power balance shifted and there's nothing in the middle of the seesaw. There's only something on either end. One is the male that needs to be powerful and dominant. The other is the female perceived as made to be seen as weaker because we know when we go back to Celtic women, when we go back to women in Nordic traditions, in many of the, the, the traditions of ancestry, women were equally as respected, revered and powerful in those groups. It was when the church came in in medieval times that all that changed. So, yeah. To go back to what you said about the voice, women have been conditioned to believe mm. that they need permission to speak, permission to give their opinions, to say that's not okay, permission to be touched. I'll give you an example, if I may, of something that happened two nights ago. I live in Spain and I don't fully know the culture yet. I know from experiences certain things about the culture, but I do know that here they have a massive campaign throughout the country fighting for respect of women, for the reduction in this masochistic kind of belief. I was in a restaurant down beside me the other evening. I had my food. I'd finished and a man came in with a woman. He was clearly drunk, slightly sort of vocal and, and spoke to me. I said, hello. It's fine. I'm never going to not say hello to somebody. Then he kept talking to me from behind me and I didn't need to respond. So I just feigned ignorance that I didn't know he was talking to me. And then as I stood up to leave, he very directly spoke to me, invited me for a drink. Because there was a woman with him, I thought, yeah, no harm. Why not? I'm, I'm new to here. I might as well say hello. So I accepted the small glass of beer and started chatting to the woman. And he kept talking and talking. And then he started 
to put his hand on my arm and rub down my arm and on my hand, and I moved my hand away. And he, you could see that he visibly noticed it. He went to do it again, and I did the same thing. And then he commented on it in Spanish. And I said, yeah, I didn't give you permission to touch me. When you touch another person, you exchange energy with that person. And I'm very careful about who I exchange my energy with. Oh, oh, and he, oh wow, yeah, you're right. That's true, the exchange of energy. But then he went to do it again. And I again had to now stand and I suppose proffer that, what did they call it, the power pose. Shoulders back, straight up. What did I say? Not all women are able to do that. Right, right. Not all women feel that they're allowed to do that. And that's part of the empowerment. Mm-hmm. That's part of what I do when I, I work with clients. It's not about me. It's always about them, what they need. Mm-hmm. And generally, they might come for public speaking skills. They might come for pronunciation, for communication skills. What it tends to come down to is empowerment that belief in self, that it's okay to say in a strategic way so that we don't trigger the brain of the powerful male in the room and we get them to come towards the reward instead of run away from the threat. I hear what you're saying. Can I ask a question about that to understand it more? Because that's the way we need to say, I don't agree, so that it's heard (laughs) as opposed to ignored. It's it's fascinating, and I I love that you bring... Um, St. Patrick into the into the inquiry because that is a big one when when I lived in in West Cork went on St. Patrick's Day we used to have a bring back the snakes parade through the throughout oh. part of the town that's how we felt about it because yeah we understood this is this is not healthy this is about you know pushing away the goddess pushing away the feminine the the spirit of our uh, sexuality, uh, 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 yeah. I mean, it's 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 goosebumpy stuff, isn't it? It's, yes. <laughs> yes. Understanding that, and as an English woman, understanding that when I was over there was uh, really important for me to to get that, but also to see how it had been in my own culture. And you know, the 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 English. You know, my my mother was a she was an English lady. You know, she, it was all about manners and presentation and speaking when you're spoken to and saying the right things and being polite. It was, I was brought up in a very middle-class kind of lifestyle and I rebelled against that fully. But when you talk as well about the voice being diminished or silenced, I can relate to that. I know that my voice was silenced not just by my parents or my mother, but also in the school system, also by boys, by young men. I wasn't given the the dignity, even by my singing teacher, you know, who wouldn't encourage my voice in any way. And that that just, you know, it seems absurd to think about. Um, but I think it's still going on. I think there is still so much of that in place. It's very hard to break it down so unless we become aware of it then yeah we need people like you who are going to support empower speak out for 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 women and for men you know it isn't just about women is it there's plenty of men who struggle with that as well 
Yeah. And the anxiety that it can create in people around voice, I think is, is it's a big issue, hey? The little yeah. children are still not encouraged. They're put on a curriculum. Say, this is what you're going to do. Don't argue with it, hey? Mm, yeah, we could have a whole other episode Ooh, on the education sure. system. <laughs> right, right, let's have it. Uh, yeah, I'm big on that when I homeschooled my children as much as oh, I wow. When they left school when they wanted to and gave them a lot of permission to do the things that they wanted to do um, and to follow their dream. So what? Wh who, who is it that comes to you? Who comes to you now? My expertise is in those whose first language isn't English. So bilingual professionals would be who comes to me because there is such a bias and a challenge when English isn't your first language. So we, we think about the vocal block that most have, or many have. Add to the generalized vocal block the language not being your first language. This belief in the world that the so-called native speaker, and I hold my fingers up beside my ears here when I say this, is better, is more capable, is all of these different beliefs that go along with it, which I have in another episode coming in the podcast, adds this bias and this sense of judgment and fear that if I say a preposition wrong or get a grammar mark wrong or use my voice incorrectly in the language, I'm going to be judged as incapable, as lacking proficiency, as not able to do my job. And in many cases, that's the truth. Somebody's accent as you're finding out in the UK at the moment with this new research about the Northern accents and the Southern accents, there's a lot of talk about this at the moment. If you come in to an interview with a whatever, I won't say a particular place, but say, I know they've generalized it as Northern accents versus the, the eloquent Southern-esque accent. Immediately, there can be a negative bias. This person is, Adjective, adjective, adjective. Let's not perpetuate the labels. So bilingual professionals, those who work in English, generally they, they, they have an advanced level or higher. It might be kind of an upper intermediate level, but they're already working in English. And what I find is that it, it's not English they want to improve. A lot of people look and say, oh, you need to improve your English. Well, actually, not necessarily. You hired me with the level of English that I have because my skills and my capacity are there for me to do the job that I need to do. Now for me to move up, be recognized and be heard properly, I need to speak in a way that you can listen and that you can follow. So when we talk about what I bring to the world and what I want to, to speak about, and the silencing that you say is still going on, it is still going on. Even when you look at the big voices that are out there, they're male. There are women who are vocal. The women who are vocal in the way that men are vocal are still being silenced. Even algorithms, I believe, and LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all of you hear this. <laughs> Even the algorithms, I believe, fear. Those women who have the courage and the confidence to stand up and say, this is not the way 
it needs to be anymore. It's got to change. So what I talk about is strategic communication. When I'm, I'm working on communication skills, which are different to speaking skills and different to language proficiency, you can be proficient in a language but not know how to communicate. Communication across cultures requires adaptability. Don't communicate in Japan in the same way as you communicate in Venezuela, nor do you communicate in the same way in Australia as you communicate in America. For instance, the, the deference rules are different. The directness and the indirectness are different. So if I stand up and I say, stop doing this, you white men don't do this, etc., immediately their brains go into defense mode. Who is she to talk about this? She sounds like my wife or my daughter or my teenager, whatever. I'm just going to stop listening. And I have to credit my aunt for this, bringing me into some of this awareness. She's in the oil and gas industry in the UK and she's quite prominent there. So she has lived 30 odd years of very male dominated industry to work her way up to one of the highest positions possible. And it was her that said it to me. You need to, to think about when you speak to these boards, you speak to these different people, how to word it in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're hearing someone that they just switch off to. That's a part of strategic communication. So it's bringing that message in a way that empowers and connects. That's why it's connected communication. Exploring the nature and nurture of communication. You mentioned earlier on being born with something. I know this goes back to epigenetics and our ancestral ties. Yes, there are certain things that we are born into. There are also karmic moves that we can make that shift or heal, for a better word, those things that we bring forwards from other generations. And that can be part of the reason that we're here. So bringing that message out, exploring, is it my nature actually to react like that? To think when I hear that accent, oh, that really bugs me. Or has that been nurtured throughout my life by a society that wants me to think and feel in a certain way? Because that's what works for the people who rule it. That's the goal for the podcast. That's the goal for the message. And this is your podcast, this connected communication podcast that you're bringing out. Um, which is is a beautiful message, a very empowering message that you're carrying. And you use the word courage in your website, you know, that the idea of people having more courage with their voice. Mm. Mm. What do you find people come to you with specifically around that? What is it about courage that, you know, we, you say we need to, we, well, we, we're aiming to speak out, you know, to have the courage to speak out. But if you've got these algorithms that are blocking that, what direction do we go in in order to get ourselves that platform or that way of saying this is not okay? Like social media isn't the only way, right? Um, there's plenty of different ways, even if it's like you say, meeting somebody in a in a bar, you know, who's who you're trying to explain you don't want to be touched in that way it could yeah. be something to do with relationships in the family um, with our children 
it can be all kinds of different avenues. So do you find the people who come to you are from all walks of life? And what I do. Getting their message out there. It's a great question. It, courage for me has been the backbone of, of almost everything. My first tattoo was the symbol of courage, the Chinese symbol of courage. My first power animal was a wolf for courage. So it's very much been an essence throughout my time. And I have been very courageous throughout my life in the variety of different experiences I've had. What people come to me for isn't courage. And this is the difficult thing. So what I do with people, I don't, I can't find anywhere else. I believe it's unique. I believe the blend that I bring. Of course, everybody's unique, right? I, I do think everybody is. But in terms of a service offering, I can I sell public speaking coaching, sell communications coaching, sell pronunciation. But when we get into it, it becomes empowerment. It becomes confidence. It becomes, oh, can I really say that? Would it work for you to say it? How does it make you feel to think you would say that? it's pretty good so it, it's this I suppose having someone in your corner and I agree with you completely when you say it can be done anywhere and in anything yes people from all walks of life come I've been lucky in the past year particularly to have had a lot of clients sponsored by a company and now I'm moving to a place where I'm attracting clients myself so I'm I'm excited to see what's going to come from the podcast, from my message being out there a little bit more. But it makes it very hard to sell, holding my fingers up again, because how do you say what I have is based on what you need and I can provide it because I have expertise in the area to provide it. And it doesn't really matter what your background is or where you're from, because I'm all about connection and inclusivity and we'll find a way to work together. We'll know when we speak if it's right or not. From the, the family perspective, yeah, I've had difficult conversations. I've had to create barriers that made it challenging to be in certain family environments, to have that experience of walking away from the table on Christmas Day because I didn't appreciate how I was been, being spoken to or being treated and sitting with my journal <laughs> and it, the freedom and empowerment of of doing that walking through that blip that force of energy that says stay at the table because that's the right behavior versus leave that table because inside you know that it's the right thing to do for you that's part of the conversation this is this is not acceptable I don't accept this behavior towards me and anymore I refuse this role I'm changing it and that's a hard fight it's hard for the person who's doing it it's hard for the people who are on the end of receiving it so demonstrating it showing the empowerment in myself in a pub in my family in front of my sisters and their children and seeing that ripple when I do because I, I have incredible sisters they all have kids very young kids two two and a half is the eldest the others are babies 
and they're leading them into life as you talked about yours, letting them develop as themselves. And I, I'm not saying letting them be because we could probably do a whole episode on the be. I'm not a big one for the who am I because the answer is always a what. So just letting them develop as they are. It's kind of like the be. We need a different verb for it in whatever way they feel is right for them. You must be a great auntie for them. I hope so. <laughs> we like to dance on beds. <laughs> no, I don't hope so. I I, I do as, yeah. as best I can. Yeah, I, I actually was the celebrant at my niece's name day last Sunday. Oh, which was really phenomenal. Special. Really incredible. And at the end of it, I went outside on my own and I bounced on the bouncy castle. Very good. I love them. <laughs> Fabulous. Do you still sing, Christine? I do, a bit like you said on your, your you put it out more publicly than I did. I have a, a secret subscribers page that when you sign up to my mailing list, you get access to. I put up some of my dramas and poems and a song I recently put up. One of my, one of the songs I used to sing competitively, but my go-to song, Lag in Love, when I when I am asked to sing and I'm out with people. Yeah. Do you sing for yourself? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Singing is my healing. Most definitely. When I feel particularly when I feel stressed or when I feel the block and the pressure that I'm putting on myself sometimes the music goes on, everything stops, the music goes on and that's it. And it's it's just this most phenomenal energetic release to hit those notes, to sing through the words, particularly when I sing songs that I grew up listening to and learning. Lauren Hill's Miseducation album, for example. Now, when I listen to those words as an adult, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, I hear those words and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not sure if it's a great thing, but I now understand <laughs> the message in those words. Mm. And that's what I say about it all being woven throughout my journey. It's all been there all the time. Different parts of it became more relevant, which happens in the brain. There's a particular part of the brain that actually makes things more relevant to us, like weaving and people talking about nature and being born with things. As soon as I decided my podcast was exploring the nature and nurture of communication, I started to hear so many more people say, yeah, but it's in my nature. Inside, I'm thinking, is it really? <laughs> so yeah, I sing to release as much as I can. And I have a neighbour <laughs> from Germany who sings, he likes to serenade me at half past one in the morning. <laughs> he used to be in a band. I think he's, he might be nearly 90, I'm not sure. But he loves to sing and he just will suddenly wake up in the middle of the night <laughs> and start singing. Mm. He's a good singer, so it's not so bad. That's <laughs> Fabulous. Oh, so what is your message? What is your message to others who are struggling with their voices? Who want to be heard, but are finding it difficult to get there listen to yourself first once you start listening to yourself start heeding what you say 
take one small step every day in that listening. When it feels difficult, when it feels challenging, when it feels like you can't push through, like it's a door that really doesn't want you to get through, that's the moment that it's most important. And even if the door swings back and knocks you down, take a breath. Ask yourself, ask the energies, ask the universe, ask your God, whatever it is you believe in. Ask nothing if you do not have a belief. And listen. And keep going. That's what I would say. Mm, that's really beautiful, Christine. And for yourself, where are your next steps taking you? Where's your journey taking you from here? Oh, now that I cannot answer. Okay. I do not decide the journey. I walked the Camino de Santiago in August of last year. And I gave a talk on it actually on 10 lessons of the Camino last week in Dublin. What I would say, I am back to knowing for myself. I knew this after I read The Alchemist the first time. And I read The Alchemist every three to five years just to put me back on track. Is that we all are moving towards the same destination. It's the journey that's different, even if we're on the same road. So when we walk the Camino, we might be walking beside each other, in front of each other, or behind each other. The next town where the coffee shop is that we sit and drink coffee is always the same next town. The path that we're on on the way to that coffee shop is the same, but nobody's journey is the same. I set goals. Like I mentioned, I think, before we started, I have pictures up here that I drew when I left that relationship in, in 2021 that I was in. One of them was Nerca, who moved to Nerca in Spain. And that was for July or August 2022. I did it in November. I've got four or five more there. I see the destination. I visualize it, I feel it, I know that where I want to go. How I get there. That's for the journey to decide. It will show you. Yeah. And that's the joy. That's the excitement. Where are we going today? The inner child or the universe or the gut, whatever it is you want to call it, decides. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So if somebody decided they wanted to come to you, they wanted to connect with you, they want to uh, they want to listen to your podcast, they might want a session with you. And um, we'll have all those details here with this um, podcast so that um, they can they can look you up. Is there anything in particular you'd like to say to anybody listening here who's inspired that would like to connect with you? I'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you, by the way, for, for the opportunity to be here for the conversation. It's been beautiful and for putting in the links. If you want to listen to the podcast, just go listen, find it on a on any podcast platform. But if you're inspired, I'd love to know what inspired you because that's connection. If you feel you wish to share your story, I would be very happy and open to hearing your story. And if something moved that makes you want to connect, possibly reach out for a session, but you feel fear, 
If you don't ask, I can't act. Face the fear and do it anyway, as my mother would say. There we go. Brilliant. Wonderful, Christine. I mean, you've, you've really inspired me. There's a lot of food for thought there for me as somebody who's really coming to terms with my voice and its empowerment and the journey I've been on with it. Mm. So taking away a lot from this. And wow. who knows, I might be seeking you out again to get a bit more information or to say, hey, what does this sound like, Christine? <laughs> oh, I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted. If, if you'd like to share your link with me to the email, is it, that you said you put it up on? I'd love to hear yeah, it. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. It's been beautiful to connect with you as well. And as I say, I believe everybody's put in our path for a reason. So of course. I'll be happy to talk to you again. And I'll be doing some interviews for my own podcast at some point. And I think that the work that you do, that wheel that you've developed in terms of moving through those spaces for ourselves and reconnecting, recommunicating and possibly rewiring our thinking mm -hmm. from a spiritual perspective absolutely blends in with the theme of the podcast that I'm going to do so I'm oh, sure you have a lot of a lot of knowledge to share as well oh that's lovely sister podcast say hey? that's one yeah. right. well I'll definitely be signing up to it myself I'm very much looking forward to hearing you on it and um yeah till we meet again thank you so much Chris Merlaney and uh yeah have a wonderful journey ahead with all that you do I will do. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.